All right, guys, we are continuing our teaching in the book of Genesis. Uh, last time we stopped, we dealt with basically an introduction to the book of Genesis. So today we're going to continue on with an examination of the text itself. But before we get there, again, let me make a few more points concerning Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and basically we're dealing with the issue of creation. And when we deal with this issue, oftentimes we hear a lot of, uh, this is the problem place. This is one of the greatest problem places that we have in the scriptures, in the book of Genesis that deals with the creation account. And that's primarily because people like this think that there is some sort of a contradiction between science and biblical theology. But the reality is Genesis in no way contradicts science. The problem is, it's not so much that Genesis contradicts science, is that everything that people want to call science is not really science. For example, and I'm not gonna spend time on this at all, for example, evolution. Notice the whole point about that is, evolution is simply a theory. It is not a proven fact nor is it true science. It is basically a theory of how some believe the universe began. So therefore, when we actually look at Genesis, Genesis doesn't contradict uh, evolution whatsoever for the simple fact that evolution is not science. Okay, so enough of that. Now let's talk about the three primary views in Genesis concerning the creation episode. And I don't want to go into a lot of depth with this, but I do want to give you guys a really good understanding of what's going on as always. So the three primary views in Genesis are the initial chaotic theory, the pre-creation theory, and the gap theory. Now I'll briefly talk about that, but I want to spend a lot of time on those beliefs that I don't uh, those particular theories that I don't think hold to, to the actual teaching of the text. So, but anyway, let's just dispel it right quick. The initial chaotic theory basically says that when we look at Genesis 1 and 1, the beginning of the universe, it, it basically states that God created the universe in a chaotic state and that the universe was created in a chaotic state and not an ordered state. And that's the initial chaotic theory. Now the pre-creation theory basically states, and, and there are a number of variation uh, to the different beliefs in these different systems, the number of ways that people and scholars look at them. So I'm just giving you the basic view to how, to, how you need to understand it. But anyway, so the pre-creation theory basically looks at it and says that when we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see the, ex the pre-existence of matter. And that's the whole point. It is simply saying there is matter that is already in existence and what God is going to do is organize that matter. Okay. Now, neither number one, the initial chaotic theory, that is that when God created the universe and we see all of this chaos at verse number two, that's how God created it. 
I do not hold to that view and neither does the text support that view and neither does further biblical evidence support that view. So the initial chaotic view is out. The pre-creation view is also out because the, again, for the same reason as I stated earlier in, in that matter did not already exist. And this is not what we're seeing in Genesis one and one, especially when we get to that. And we're going to talk about that. Now, the third view is what is called the gap theory. And that's the view that I hold to. And I believe that the scriptures are holding that is telling us to hold to that particular view. And it's not for the reason that some teach and, and some of the reason why some and, and basically the gap theory just simply says this, that between Genesis one and ch chapter one and verse one in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And in verse number two, the earth was formless and void and darkness and that part. So the whole issue is this. This is what you need to see. In verse number two, that's the chaos. OK. And what these particular theories are trying to do is they're trying to understand in do we where in the scriptures, if any part, do we make separations? You got it. So some see verse number one. And this is the general theory that many people understand it today. Verse number one as a summary statement. And when we get to verses number two, all the way up to chapters two and verse three, because that deals with the full entirety of the six days of creation and the seven day of rest. That's the creation process. And so some see it. Verse number one is basically a summary and verses number chapter from one verse two all the way down to chapters two, verse three. They see that basically as an explanation of what took place in verse number one. You got it. So there, it's explaining it. That's not true. And we're going to go through all of that uh, in this particular teaching today. So we're going back to the issue of the gap theory. And this is the one that I hold to be true. The gap theory basically says it sees there is a gap, a space of time between Genesis chapter one and one and verse number two. We'll explain what all what all is going on in that particular gap. But the whole issue is there is a gap of time between Genesis one and one and Genesis one and two. Now, some people hold to this gap theory and I kind of touch on it a little bit right now. Uh, and later on, as we examine in the text, I'll get into really what's going on. But some hold to this theory because they want to leave a place for the dinosaurs. They want to leave this issue where they're trying to uh, uh, allow evolution in some sense to take place. That is with the, the living and the death of the dinosaurs, uh, according to certain theories, for thousands or maybe millions of years ago. But now. The reason why that can't be correct, and I hope I'm not going too fast. The reason I can't, that can't be correct is because the Bible said that Adam brought death into the world. In other words, death came by man. So before Adam, there was no death at all. No death of any kind, no death to any animal. 
the principle of death began with Adam. So when Adam sinned, what does the scriptures teach? Death entered into our world. So you can't bring in the dinosaurs in between verses one and two so that you'll have something to satisfy the evolution uh, near a concept that some have. That's, that's improper to do because the dinosaurs would have died. And the scripture says death came when Adam sinned. So that doesn't work either. All right. So but the reason why I simply hold to the gap theory is it explains clearly. And we'll talk about that when we get into verse number two. We'll talk about the gap theory as it talks about that space of time between certain events that took place between verse one and verse two. OK. All right. Now, let's get started with verse number one. And it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me say this. I don't want to usually as we are talking through the book of Genesis, I don't want to get much into the Hebrew text. Number one, I know most of you guys probably don't know it, and I don't want to bore you to death with that. However, there are times when examining the text really help you to understand what's going on. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to look at verse number one, and we're going to examine it from its original Hebrew text so that it'll give us the right understanding of what's going on in Genesis one and one. And what we're going to see is that this is the original creation of God. And, and I'll explain that as necessary. But anyway, it says this. So the first word that we see in the beginning is better sheet. Now this word better sheet, it simply means in the beginning. That's how we translate it. Now, however, even though we do translate it in the beginning, there is in, in, and we're not, I don't want to get too much into grammar, but it is important to understand it. It is called the definite article, the definite article. Okay. The definite article simply means the, the, and whenever you have the usage of the definite article, the idea is it points to something specific. The definite article points to something that is specific. Now in this first word, Bereshith, that we translate in the beginning, the definite article under the bait, and I'm, I'm gonna get into all of that, but the point is the definite article is not there. So. What the writer, what Moses is, God is saying is he is not pointing to a point in time. He's pointing to a point before time. So this is a time before time itself existed. It just simply means somewhere in the dateless past. It is pointing to the beginning of an activity and that's what our verb says the beginning of what activity the beginning of god's creation you got it so bereshith simply means somewhere in eternity past god began 
to create is pointing to a time, not specifically, but just the creative process of God. And also, too, let me say this while I'm here. Actually, the verb says, and this, and this is what I'm reading right here, guys. This is what I'm reading right here, okay? And the, the, the verse says, Barashit, in the beginning, bara Elohim, Eid Ha Shemayim, Wa Eid Ha Eretz. These are seven Hebrew words, seven words. Now, the beauty of this, and I don't want to get into all of this, and especially into numerology, but th these seven words are not arbitrary. It, this was not just something done at random. And the number seven, we can see in the create, uh, uh, say, for instance, verse number one, seven words. And we can even see verse number two, 14 words. My point is, we can see the number seven and even multiples of seven being used for different words, different phraseologies in the creation account of Genesis 1. But the point is this, it could not have been done by accident. That's number one. And number two, to use such words with the multiplicity of seven, it just simply shows you this. It can only be done by God. Only God could have written this down in such a way that the number seven and the multiples of seven would constantly appear to show you. Remember the whole thing about the number seven. Seven indicates what? Completion. Seven is also the Hebrew number of what? Perfection. So the point I'm trying to stress is verse number one, not, uh, not only not, not only bringing out the whole issue of that number seven to show you things concerning the creation itself is completion is perfection, but also the actual words, the account of the creation by that numerology that we see, it shows you that this system of portraying what God had done, this linguistic way of doing so, had to be from God. No man just could have done that and kept that order. But anyway, okay, I'm babbling. That's enough of that. Also, while I'm here too, the seven Hebrew words, remember, it indicates perfection and completion. It lets us know concerning the creation of God that this was the perfect and complete creation of God. And that's, a, that's another reason why we got those seven words. It indicates what it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was perfect and complete in verse number one. Now, why is that important? It's important because once we get to verse number two, all of a sudden we see everything is messed up. The earth was what? Formless and void. What in the world is going on there? I thought the world was created seven Hebrew words, perfect. It was. All right. So that helps us out. But anyway, and that's one of the reasons, once again, and I'll slow it down. I don't want to get too excited, that I personally hold to the gap theory. The gap theory teaches that the earth, the universe, was created perfectly and complete. And the universe fell into disorder. Now, I use the word fell, the, uh, uh, into disorder, but it's, it didn't just fall into disorder. It fell under God's judgment. It was under divine judgment. But that's 
that's too fast for right now. Let's just go back to one and let's just simply concentrate on that. All right. So it talks about in the beginning. Now, another thing too, when we see that in the beginning, there is a clear relationship to what John, the writer of the gospel of John is talking about in John one and one. Remember John one and one said in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Now, what John is not doing, and since I brought it up, let me deal with it because I don't want any misunderstanding from it. John is not saying that the word logos that we know later on, verse 14, becomes flesh. That is Jesus, that the word is a part of the of the created universe of what is being created. John is simply referencing that in the dateless past existing along with God was the word. In other words, John is not trying to say that Jesus had a point of creation. He is just simply saying that he was in the beginning with God. But clearly you can see him re relating that idea, what? To Genesis one and one with the same idea of what? In the beginning, okay? So let's go back to the text. So he says, in the beginning, in the, somewhere in the dateless past, what is going to take place? Bara is that next Hebrew word. That is this word here, bara. Bara is a word that is primarily used of God. It simply means to create, whether you're creating something out of nothing or creating something from something because the word is used in both senses. Okay, but the point is the word bara is only used of God. It is something that only God can do. Therefore, we see that this world was created by Elohim, that is God. And, and, and it's, it's such a beautiful, all of it ties so wonderfully together. I'm almost premature in so many of the concepts that I'm discussing. And I hope, guys, that I'm not going so fast and, and you're not getting it. But the whole point is this. Bara is a word, a verb, that is used to say that only God can do these things. And, and, and the whole idea concerning Barashith Bara, that is, in the beginning created, and we know God is the one who does the creation. We're going to get to that part in a, in a second. The whole idea is ex nihilo. That's a Latin phraseology. It just simply means out of nothing. There was absolutely nothing in existence. There was no heaven. There was no earth. There was no nothing. There was no time. There were, and, and, and let me say this because because I think some people actually are confused. Time itself is a created thing. Time is a created thing. Why do you say that? Because how do we reference time? We reference time with respect to the universe itself. Think about it. What is, it? What is a day? What is that 24-hour period? It's the time that the earth does what? Spins on its axis. We understand what a month is. We understand what a year is, how the earth revolves around the sun in, in a set amount of time. Time is a created thing itself. And so God creates 
all things. And how does he create them? He creates them ex nihilo from nothing. That was absolutely nothing. All right. So now let's talk about this. It says in the beginning, God. Now that word for God is Elohim. Elohim is the Hebrew is the Hebrew plural word for God. The actual word for God in Hebrew in the singular is El. It's El. But the word here is used in the plural. Now we know that opens up a can of worms. What it, let me tell you what the scriptures are not saying. It is not saying in the beginning God's for the simple reason the verb bara is singular and therefore it deserves a singular subject, which is God. However, you still cannot deny it does open up the door for an understanding to the plurality of the Godhead. And that's what I'm driving at. Okay. Now, Elohim does not demand, say for, uh, say for instance, the Trinity. That, 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 that's really what we're moving into later on in progressive revelation. Okay. But Elohim doesn't demand for that particular understanding or translation. We can't demand it. However, it is opening the door and saying, hmm, I wonder why is God referring to himself that way in the plural? So some say that the plural is the plural of his majesty. And for that reason that it uses the term Elohim. And then others say it use it as it refers to God in the cre in this whole process of creation. And so it uses it in that sovereign sense, he who creates the universe, it uses the term Elohim. So again, speaking of majesty and greatness. But the point that I'm simply trying to say is by the simple usage of El in the plural, Elohim, it opens the door to the plurality of the Godhead. Okay. So we, so now where are we now? We're saying that in the beginning, God created. So now let's talk about some things here. We see that the word God is used here. And I like that from verse one, Genesis chapter one, all the way to Genesis chapter two to four. All the references to God is simply God. And, and, and notice, just look in, your, look in your Bible. From Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis chapter 2 to 3, every reference to God just simply calls him God, Elohim. And what I believe the scriptures are trying to do is, and that's very clear, because when the Bible speaks Elohim, it means, by the very name, it means the self-existent one. That's what Elohim literally means. He who, okay, I, let me explain it. I don't want to just blabble off, okay? It simply means that God, God's existence comes of and from himself. In other words, God is eternal. Unlike the universe that we see in verse one, the universe is being created. It is not eternal. It has a point that it came into existence, but God himself did not. He has always existed. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. Sometimes even when, when I'm in prayer, I, be, I, I begin to praise and glorify God I, I, because I want to see him. It is 
the type of being that he, what kind of being has always existed just from eternity to from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. Don't you want to see that in some way? But anyway, Elohim, that's what that is. All right. And from that idea of self-existence, and that, now let's make another point concerning the creative process that we see taking place here. Some have said that when God created the universe, it was because he was lonely. That's, that's a fallacy. That's absolutely wrong. Why? The very name of God itself contradicts it. Number and we and I don't even want to get into an argument about that, but I just throw a few points in there since I open up the door myself. Self-existent one. It means that God needs nothing and no one. He exists of himself without without any need of anything. And the bottom line is, why did he create the universe? The scriptures teach is very simple for his glory. Because he wanted to. That's why. Not because he needed to. And it was not because he was lonely. As another, you got to remember, God is a, the person of God is a triune being. The person of God is triune being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So how is he lonely? But anyway, okay. But let's go on. Another thing that it teaches when we begin to examine it. We're going back to the text where it says, in the beginning, God created. God stands apart from his creation. And, and, and I hope you guys really digest that. So replay the video and think about what I'm trying to say. God, God created the universe. He is not a part of his creation. You got it? And, that's, and, and I guess I'll throw this part in to you guys. That's one of the one of the meanings of Kodesh. Kodesh literally means in Hebrew, holy, holy, holy means to be separate from, to be separate from. So one of the understandings, and that's why we call God, holy God. There is the understanding concerning righteousness. Yeah, that understanding for holiness is there. However, the seminal understanding of holiness, the very basic, it literally means apart from, apart from. So God is holy from his creation. God is a part from his creation. He is not a part of his creation. What God does do is he does step into his creation. He does get involved in his creation. And the greatest manner in which we see God entering into his creation is in the body of a man that we know as Jesus the Messiah. But I'm way off the line. Let's get back to the Barah. So, but that's the point that I want you guys to see that God is not a part of the creation, even though he's creating it. He's separate from these things. Okay, let me finish, guys, because I'm running short on time. Okay, I said I wasn't going to do the time thing, didn't I? So I'm not running short on time. We stop where we stop. All right, uh, any other point that I want to see? So we, we, we made that the issue. Concern, okay, 
where I was was the Elohim. Let me make this final point concerning the usage of God in chapters one all the way to chapter two, verse number three. And the reason why the scriptures use it that way is as it relates to creation, it is simply showing that it is God who is the creator. He is the sovereign one. He is the one who made all things. And by the usage of that, here is the principle that set forth throughout all of scripture. And watch this. And here it is. So I'm going to take my time. If I have to stop at verse number one, we'll stop at verse number one. Since God, Elohim, the self-existent one, the all-powerful one, is the creator of all things, by right, by right, he has the authority to tell that which he created what to do. He has to write to set the bounds to all things. He set the bounds of the created universe. He set the bounds of the earth that he created. He set the bounds of the waters that he created. He set the bounds of the creatures he created. Let the birds fly in the air. Let the creeping things creep on the ground along with the animals. He has the authority to tell what he made what to do. Do you understand? So, and that principle is what carries throughout the scriptures. Why? Because he is the God that made everything and therefore only he has the right to tell everything what to do. And see, now let me say, and I, if I start doing the preaching, fine. And that's my problem. And, and, and I know it can take us a little while to, to get a grasp on that. But that's my, that's my issue with so many things. That is namely us. That's my problem. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do it how we want to do it. And we ignore the fact that we are not here of ourselves or even because of ourselves. You are here because God put you here according to his goodness and his grace. And therefore, since you, all of us, are a direct as well as derivative, direct coming from Adam, derivative, born children of Adam. Since all of us are either a direct or derivative creation of God, God maintains the authority over his creation. So if God says this is what he wants you to do, the discussion is over. Why? He alone is Elohim. Nobody but. And it is Elohim who bara, who created the heaven and the earth. Therefore, all worship, all honor, and all obedience should be given to the creator. All right, that's enough of that. I got to finish verse number one. So we find God standing outside of his creation. In the beginning, God created, and then here's where I am now. I got Eth Hashemayim. He created what? The heavens. And let me just make a couple of comments about this. The reason why heavens, and did you notice that heavens is in plural? The heavens and the earth. But heavens is plural because it refers to the two heavens. Now, when I speak of the two heavens, I'm basically speaking of the two domains. Let me just break it down. Let me break it down. Let me break it down. Let me break it down. We understand heaven 
there is the atmospheric heaven. All right, some call that the first heaven, the atmospheric heaven, where you can breathe, where you can breathe air. You got it? Okay, up, up into the cloudy, cloudy space in the earth. That's, that's an atmospheric heaven. Some refer to that as the first heaven. And then there is the second heaven. And we know that now, we know that the atmospheric heaven is not that large of an expanse. You got it? You can't go up too far before you run out of air. Atmospheric heaven. Then there is the starry heaven or the second heaven that some refer to. The second heaven simply is understood as all of outer space. And it's huge. And, 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 it's, and I have no idea how large it is. I think I once read something about it. I can't remember it. But it is huge. But now here's the point. As wide as space is, all of the stars and galaxies beyond my own imagination, it still has a limit. You got it? This is what is sometimes referred to as the second heaven. Now, beyond that is what is called the third heaven, the abode of God. And, and, and when we say the third heaven, the God's heaven. In other words, when people tell when we die, we're going to go to heaven. Now, that's the place you're talking about. This is the reference to the third heaven. Okay. Now, let's go back to what's going on here. When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens. The reference here is heavens is plural. It's talking about basically the first and second heaven. You got it. That stuff, uh, 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 the atmospheric heaven with the with the starry sky. That's the first heaven that is referring to. And then the heaven of God himself. That's the second heaven. And that's the reason why heaven here is in the plural as it speaks about those two heavens kind of combining the one and the two and separated from the third heaven or the heaven of God. All right. So this is what God did himself. He created the heavens and he created the earth. And now here's another thing that while I'm here, since I'm in Hebrew, it says Hashemayim and Ha'eretz. And because of that definite article being that that's the Ha, that's that Ha. And don't worry about it, guys. I'm not going to get too much into all of that. Because of that definite article being there, we're seeing that there is a separation in the creation, in the created order. In other words, kind of like a concentration, heavens and the earth. You got it? And the whole idea is the concentration, as we're going to see, is God's concentration will be on the earth. Now, notice, and, and okay, I guess I slow it down a little bit more. In the creation of the heavens and the earth, we see that God's concentration, and that's why we see that the heavens and the earth being separated because as heavens is the abode of God, the earth is the concentration of God's creative process. And we can even say later on, we know, we know, and I'm way, way, way off and way ahead of myself, but the idea is God's redemptive process. So everything is concentrated on the earth. Now, with that understanding, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm not certain and I can't be dogmatic. There is never seen, it hasn't been seen any life on any other planet other than the earth. And while the earth has been created and designed in such a way as to sustain life, because that's where God focused his attention. 
Now, I'm not saying that there cannot be life on another planet. It may be. But what I do know is this. The scriptures do teach that God concentrates his created and redemptive efforts on the earth. All right. Okay. All right, guys, let me see. I, I, let me take a quick look in my notes and see if there's something that I want to talk about. Uh, in Genesis chapter one, verse number one, we talked about number one. Let's do a recap right quick. Seven Hebrew words. They indicate what? Completion and perfection. And that's what Genesis one and one does. It tells that this and, and just in case if I didn't get to it, that Genesis one and one is the beginning of the created universe. That is the beginning. OK, when we talk next time, when I come back next time, we're going to talk about something that took place to that universe that caused it. I don't want to say to fail, but in other words, God destroyed it completely and totally. Not annihilation caused it cease to be, but that perfect order that it once had was destroyed. We'll talk about that and we'll also talk about why. But let's finish our recap. The seven words indicate what? Perfection and completion. And that when the universe was initially created, it was perfect and complete. We talked about Bereshit having no definite article in the fact that what? We're not talking about a specific time, but just a point in time when God began his created work. We also brought in John 1 and 1, and the whole part of that is how that it relates how that, and we don't want to get into all, all of that, but Jesus was a part of that work. Or in other words, just to simply tell you, as John tells us, that when God was doing this created work, even of the universe itself, he was doing that in conjunction with or even as the scripture says, through Jesus. He did it through Jesus. That's the whole point. That's why we bring in the John 1 and 1. Second thing, ex nihilo. The universe was created, ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing in existence. Number three, number four, that God was in the plurality, which gives and opens the door to the person of God, okay? And then we see that the name Elohim was used all throughout up to chapters two and verse number three. And that indicates the sovereignty of God to order his creation. And therefore his creation should always be in submission to him. And then we see heavens is in the plural. And then we see that God concentrates his creative process as we're going to see it further. And we see God concentrate his redemptive plan on the earth. Now, guys, that wasn't even all that we could have talked about in verse number one. However, I would advise, listen to the tape again, listen to the video again, and let it sink in and you'll get it, you'll get it. But anyway, that's enough for one day. We'll see you coming back at you next time. We're gonna talk about what? Genesis one and two, as we deal with that gap of time. Catch you next time.